what we're moving from in in pain research is from what we like I said a more a less mechanistic you know a happens it sends signals up because brain hurts okay that kind of thing to more neuroplasticity model kind of uh, the the brain's an adaptive learning you know organ and pain fits into that we adapt and learn pain believe it or not welcome to Meredith for real the curious introvert that's me. I'm Meredith, and I collect people, for real. You never know who I'm going to meet next. So come listen as I put my curiosity to good use. Every week, I'll introduce you to someone new, and we'll talk about ways to stay curious and grow. Big thanks to our location sponsor, Delta Life Fitness in Pace, Florida, the 30-minute women's group fitness plan you can actually stick with. As a rule, I am drawn to people who operate outside the box. That's why when I met my next guest to get a chiropractic adjustment, I was immediately intrigued when he walked me through an autonomic nervous system downregulation technique as a part of my treatment. I was even more intrigued when I learned his wife is an MD in internal medicine. I can only imagine the conversations they must have. (laughs) And he applies a wide spectrum of knowledge to his practice. Today, he's going to talk about the psychology of chronic pain. Stay to the end where he shares tips on how you can hurt less from home. Anti-dogmatic, lifelong learner, taekwondo black belt, Dr. Rob Thompson, everyone. Hi. <laughs> so a lot of people would be just super content with their practice to have just like a pop crack out the door, come back three times a week for 700 years of your life. Yes. Why, a lot of, why a lot not of people you? are content with that. <laughs> why aren't you? Because that lets people slip through the cracks. That lets people that aren't helped by that, which, you know, chiropractic is an amazingly powerful tool. But the uh, standard pop crack adjustment doesn't fix everybody, doesn't help everybody. Um, and those are the people that I really, really, really like to help. Is um, it the hard cases? The harder, the better. <laughs> the harder, the better. The more chronic, the more they've been to everybody under the sun. I just, you know, those are the people I wanted. They're the most rewarding, for sure. The people that have been to chiropractors and say, ah, that didn't work for me, or. Yeah, I love those. I like to see the light bulb moment, you know. Yeah. Um, or the people who have been to the chiropractors, to pain management, the surgeons, mm-hmm. you know, through the through the run of the mill. And there's a lot of them out there. Yes, there are. And you integrate a lot of different techniques. Yes. Um, so many that I was going to list them in your intro. And I was like, <laughs> first of all, these are really big words. Second of all, um, this is a super long list. So can you highlight a f- couple of them that are, I mean, they're all out of the ordinary, but can you highlight a couple of them? Sure. Um, so a couple of things that, that are pretty prevalent and strong is a technique called PRT or primitive release, uh, reflex release technique. Um, and that's what you touched on. That's the autonomic downregulation. And I really like that technique in particular because it's super fast and it blows people's minds. Um, and it starts the idea that, oh, wait, maybe I don't have to be in pain, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. Um, and the autonomic regula- nervous system can be a big role in how we perceive pain, you know, um, so to be able to work from that angle can help a lot of people. Um, I also do 
you, I do all the standard chiropractic stuff that every other one kind of just sticks with, but take your pick. Diversified adjustments, uh, flexion distraction, Gonstead, Thompson drop table. I mean, yeah. I've kind of gone through it all. Uh, active release technique for soft tissue, Graston technique for soft tissue, which when you have a lot of different tools in your belt, mm-hmm. you can work on a lot of different problems. Yeah, those... Um soft tissue ones that you talked about, those are the ones that, that's the price, well, other than the auto, autonomic down regulation, that surprised me second the most because it's not a chiropractic adjustment and it helped me so much. Right. So, yeah. So the first one, the, what was it called? PRRT. PRRT. Yep. Is that connected to the psychology of chronic pain? Yeah, it's a part of it, you know, so... We say psychology and people automatically think, okay, well, you know, that's how we think about things and how we perceive the world and that kind of stuff. And um, most people kind of have this idea that pain is a relatively mechanistic thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some sort of trauma that sends signals to the brain. We go, oh, it hurts. That's it. It's done. Um, There's so much more to that. There's a lot of integration. And uh, pain's not actually generated in the periphery. It's It's generated in the brain. Um, so that's the, in the autonomic nervous system, a big component of that. When we are stressed out, when we're tight and tense and when we have trauma, when we have past life experiences, when we have, you know, just all that kind of stuff, it all feeds into that, that loop of chronic pain. So that's such a weird thought that our pain isn't in our body, that our pain is in our mind. 100%. It's kind of, I don't know, that's, that's really so, weird. You know, what a good example. Yeah. All right, so, and everybody, I think, can kind of think back and find something in their life that's similar to this. So when I was a kid, I was on a sailboat with my dad, and we, we anchored, and we were going to jump off and swim to a little island. It was awesome. It was a fun day. So I jump off, I kick off, and da 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 And I felt my foot kick the side of the boat, you know, no big deal. I swim in, I feel good. I get up, I'm standing on the beach, I'm looking around. And then I look down and all of a sudden I notice there's a giant puddle of blood around my foot. And what had happened was I'd kicked off the boat and my foot got cut on a barnacle. Mm. Big gash. And, but I didn't feel it, right? There was obviously trauma to my foot. Right. But I didn't feel it. There was no perception of pain. There was, there was nothing until I saw the blood. And then it was like the countdown hammer. Three, two, one. Ah! You know, <laughs> now all of a sudden there's a visual representation. It ties in. My brain goes, hey, yo, tissue damage. That hurts. Even though there was the actual trauma itself didn't cause any pain, as soon as there was a, a visual representation, as soon as that's, oh, the idea that blood equals trauma, that means pain. Now, all of a sudden, the emotional and limbic part of my brain goes, hey, you need to protect yourself, and it makes it hurt. But before that, there was nothing, right? The, yeah. There was a solid two or three minutes of nothing, even though it was gushing blood, you know, shark bait into the water. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but I think a lot of people are, or, hey, where'd you get that bruise? Huh? Oh, I have no idea. And then... All of a sudden, it's on your mind. Like, Man, that thing really hurts. Yeah. Even though, obviously, it's a bruise. It, you could have done that yesterday. Right. You know, and now all of a sudden, you see the perception. So the pain's generated here. It's not necessarily in the periphery. So how does that, how does that translate when, with memories like or trauma in the body as far as like chronic pain? Because what you just talked about is 
immediate pain. Yeah, acute, absolutely. Acute pain. Right. So what about the people that either they had, um, we, a few episodes back, we had um, someone talk about child abuse, mm-hmm. and uh, she's talked about how kids who have experienced child, abu- child abuse, are they're more likely to have um, physical problems later on in adulthood than kids who did not have child abuse. So is that an example of what you're talking about? It can be. So, uh, you know, when we talk about the things that feed into our perception of pain, it's not just trauma to the body. It's stress. It's our lifestyle. It's whether we're lonely or not. It's depression. It's our food choices. It's whether we exercise or not. It's on and on. There's, there's, it's so multifactorial. And so um, with, with abuse cases, a lot of times those are repetitive traumas. You know, mm-hmm. and they tend to get internalized. Um, for a lot of people, they hide that. You know, and they feel like they just have to cope and deal and, and hold it. You know, and when we have chronic pain, the lines, the the distinct areas of our brain that kind of say, "Hey, this is where we have pain," or "This is what's going on." Things start to blur, mm-hmm. right? And things can come diffuse. And yeah. Uh, the emotionality behind it, you might say, you know, we, it's, you see weird stuff, you know, you get um, abused and your brain says, man, my knee hurts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just weird stuff. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of it other than it helps to recognize that, you know, there can be an external factor or an internal factor, I should say that's driving that and doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with that body part um it's almost like your body's trying to tell you to deal with something yeah it can be yeah absolutely you know so what's the science behind that because i mean i i am totally on board with those ideas um but i think for some people that prefer a more a plus b equals c i cut my finger therefore it hurts right they need a little bit so we're what we're moving from in in pain research is from what we like i said a more a less mechanistic you know a happens it sends signals up b goes brain hurts okay that kind of thing to more neuroplasticity model kind of uh the the brain's an adaptive learning you know organ and pain fits into that we adapt and learn pain, believe it or not. Um, so the science is is that generally with trauma, that increases stress, right? We just tend to have an underlying level of more stress. Our autonomic service, our fight or flight's ramped up. Um, and especially when you're put in a situation where there's memory of a trauma. So it could be every time I go home and, you know, uncles, Bob's there, I'm like, and then all of a sudden my back hurts, right? When we get stressed out, what happens is is that large muscle groups tighten up. We're getting ready to, to run like or to fight. Or fight. Right? And so a lot of times those large muscle groups, and then what also happens is that the small muscle groups turn off. And the small muscle groups, especially we're talking about spinal pain, that's just kind of my thing, is that the small muscle groups are what tell us where our spine is in space. Right, they're little bitty guys. They don't really affect motion, but mm-hmm. they have what we call proprioceptors that say, "Hey, when it stretches, 
that means this thing's moving, that kind of stuff. And when they turn off, we lose the ability to know where our spine is in space. And when we lose that, we lose the ability to adapt. We lose the ability to perceive where we are in space. And a lot of times that gets interpreted as pain. We get confusing signals, that kind of thing. So just stress alone, which is very common in, in, in a trauma and somebody that had trauma, but it can be, I had three car accidents. Now, every time I get in the car, I hurt because I'm worried <laughs> I'm going to get rear-ended. You know, it can be that. I've seen that a lot, um, you know. Yeah. But it can be anything where we have a memory of injury and our body's primed and ready, and that's a perfectly normal thing. If you think about it, you're walking through the African savanna. Right. You step on a snake. <laughs> Right. The next time you're walking through the grass, you're already tense, ready for that snake to come out. Yeah. You know, so it's a normal physiological thing. Yeah. Monkey Meredith is just trying to survive. You got it. <laughs> you got it. It's all survival mechanisms. So when you're treating a patient, how do you know if that's what the deal is with that patient? Hey, everyone. It's time to take a quick minute and show gratitude to our sponsors who make this show possible and give you some special offers. Delta Life is ladies group fitness in Pace, Florida, and I've been a member since 2016. I get bored super easy and I'm great at talking myself out of exercise like expert level 5000. So having a class to show up that's different every time has been winner winner chicken dinner for me. And with it just being 30 minutes, there's really no reason not to go. Plus, they do fun social stuff like Christmas pajama parties, little black dress events, and challenges. You can get your first class free to try it out. You can even come with me. There's no annual contract. It's all fitness levels, free childcare. Plus, if you mention the Meredith For Real podcast on your first visit, you'll get a free five-pack of classes so you can really see if you like it. Check them out at deltalifefitness.com. Well, we can always ask, you know, so part of the... the subjective components on part of the interview with the patients hey you know have we had any major falls major accidents that kind of stuff um you're not always going to get to physical abuse that kind of trauma in in one visit you know that's when a a relationship has to happen you know sometimes things just aren't quite getting fixed the way you want to and you can kind of work into that um some of it's just intuition Mm mm-hmm you know, you kind of, you work with enough bodies, you kind of say, hey, yeah. <laughs> something's not right here. You know, you get, a, you get an idea, you get a gauge of, you know, what's going on. Um, a lot of times it's, they feel better. And then, hey, this came back when I was there. Okay, what was happening? You know, that's how, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It just takes time, you know, and, and it's not always a first visit thing. Yeah, I would know? think that it would take some awareness on the part of the patient, too. Sure. I know it did for me because there was like certain people I was hanging out with, and I'm like, "Dang, my jaw really hurts when I hang out with these people." Get stressed <laughs> and out. then I, re- yeah, I was like, "Oh," and I think uh, like holding my tongue, yep. you know, and then physically that part got really tight. So now I don't hang out with those people. Yeah. <laughs> and that's you know strong for you. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you have any? Um, like stories of patients that um, had like examples, I guess you could give of learned pain. Sure. Like, I mean, the most common is probably auto accidents, you know, we, especially multiple accidents, you know, and they've been through the, the, the mill and they never can get better. It's like, Hey, every time you get in your car, you're 
you're doing this or mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's just educating people on why and how the pain system works can do wonders. Sometimes just knowing that the brain is the main generator. Yeah. Um, there's actually really good research that shows that just teaching people that neuroplasticity model, saying, hey, this is where the pain's generated. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have trauma to your body anymore. Your body's healed. You know, this is a learned thing that you're dealing with. Yeah. That enough can dampen the pain. And that, that's, it's pretty, that's a pretty powerful model. That's why any of my patients know. I'm telling them, hey, this is what's going on. You've got a map in your brain of your body. You know, go through my whole spiel. And uh, it gives people hope to know that, oh, maybe I'm not broken. Yeah. That this doesn't have to be the way that it is. Absolutely. So why is traditional medicine not following more of this sort of model, even on the very basic level of listening skills? You really want to know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know who you're talking to? Of course I really want to know. Uh, Two main reasons is uh, insurance and reimbursements. Mm. Right, and so uh, your normal primary care practitioner, your normal chiropractor, your normal whoever you're going to see that's accepting insurance, they got to have a high turnover rate, and mm-hmm. they don't have time Mm-mm. to sit down and have a conversation with you. In their mind, that's the psychologist's job. Yes. Right, and I mean I've worked with patients and have integrated well with their with their psychologists and that kind of stuff, and sometimes they need more than what I can give them in a 20, 30 minute session kind of thing. Um, but in general, there's not just a really high turnover rate. It's four minutes, you know, it's like, that's it. That's all you're going to get. And what can you do in four minutes? You can adjust something really quick. Or if you're primary care, you can say, okay, you've got this, 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 and this, here's your referral or here's your drug. I mean, that's, that's the model we live in. Right. And then, and the pharmaceutical companies push that. So, um, and the drugs just mask it. They don't fix anything. So with being married to an internist, mm-hmm. how does that, I'm really am curious about the conversations you guys must have at home. We have a few. <laughs> Do you um, see eye to eye on most things or are there some things that you just agree to disagree? We see eye to eye on a lot of things. Part of that is that uh, Erica works in a hospital setting. She likes to work on the people that are sick enough to be in the hospital, mm-hmm. right? And her goal is to get them well enough to get out of the hospital and you know, then hopefully they go seek the proper care and get their lives better. Right. right? To be well. My, my, yeah. My job is outpatient. Mm-hmm. So I'm like outpatient. Right. So we fit well in that respect. Yeah. You know, um, so, but yeah, we get, we get in some, some scuffles sometimes. <laughs> hey, that's healthy. I think. Absolutely. Keeps uh, us on our toes. Yeah, I would think so. Where did you learn your style of chiropractic care? Even though I say your style, you have really a lot of styles underneath the umbrella of your style. But I went to school at Logan uh, Chiropractic College, which is in Chesterfield, Missouri. And that's kind of where it all started. Although I shouldn't say that. It all started. My dad's a chiropractor. So I'm second generation. Um, but I didn't know I wanted to be a chiropractor until fourth year of undergrad. Oh, my gosh. As a matter of fact, I was determined not to be a chiropractor. <laughs> and then uh, I realized maybe I didn't want to be a marine biologist. I actually want to help people. Um, so that's kind of where that 
that journey started. So I've, I've grown up seeing my dad help people, and my dad's always been another one of those outside the box lifelong learner kind of guys. Yeah. And so it was a good example from that standpoint. Um, so even while I was at Logan, I was continually taking as many extracurricular classes as I could. Um, I went ahead and completed 90% of my uh, functional neurology diploma, which is kind of most most chiropractors will do that well after they're done with school. But I went and did it conjoined, mm-hmm. did them together. Um, so, then, you know, I'm just always integrating and learning. I'm not afraid to learn from other fields. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go to PT, you know, physical therapist courses. I'll go to massage therapy courses. I'll go, you know, because everybody's got something that yeah. works well. And mm-hmm. the more you know, the more you can integrate it. So it's just been a lifelong integration of all the different things I've learned. I don't, like I said, I don't stick to one thing. If something's not working, then we move on to the next thing. Or try a little bit of this, try a little bit of that. Um, everybody knows I don't like letting people walk out my door if they're still hurting. No, I do know that. <laughs> You're like, test it again, walk the hall. <laughs> you said you have a few um, ways that our listeners can hurt less from home. Absolutely. Can you share those? Sure. So knowing that our brain is kind of where we generate the pain, then, um, and, and these are things that most people have probably heard, but once you kind of understand it, maybe it'll help a little bit. Number one is move, right? Um, even if it hurts to move a particular body part, you can move something else. And movement's a very, very powerful, powerful tool. Our bodies are designed to move. Um, our brains um, are actually developed so that we can move and respond to an environment. Um, any organism out there that moves has a brain. Any organ that doesn't move doesn't have a brain. It's that simple. That's what our brains are designed for. And so it's very important for uh, our brain health and our body health and that proprioceptive feedback, the feeling of our joints moving, that helps downregulate pain tremendously. Um, so would walking be... If you can walk and it doesn't aggravate the crap out of you, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's you know that's the thing. It's if walking hurts because you're, you know your pains, your brain's telling your pains in your hip, then maybe walking's not the best thing. Maybe you should go to the gym and get on the arm bike. Mm. You know, that's so don't a necessarily start. ignore the pain. No, I'm not saying ignore the pain. I always tell people, look, if it's really sharp pain, then. You know, and it's driving you nuts. Sometimes that will actually make it worse, and so we don't want that, yeah. right? But if you can move, do a movement that doesn't cause pain. I'm okay with soreness later. I'm okay with dull achy pain later, right? But we want to we want to move. You know, mm-hmm. so when the Quinn's coach to tell you, well, walk it off. You know, that was actually kind of sound neurological advice, right? <laughs> um, so that's number one. Number two is eat well, right? Because that's going to reduce general background inflammation. Right. And so when we have systemic inflammation, things hurt more. Right. And so just eat good food. I think most people think they eat good food. So can you elaborate a little bit on how do you know if you have background inflammation and what's some good food? All right. How do you know if you have background inflammation? Pretty much if you're eating something that comes out of a box and has ingredients that you don't know what the heck they are, you have background inflammation. I mean, that's just if you're eating processed food, mm-hmm. your body doesn't handle that well. If you can look at it and there's multiple ingredients and you see chemical words, you've got background inflammation. And the way you also know you have background inflammation is eat whole foods, right? I'm not going to be super dogmatic on, you know, how much meat, how much vegetables, all that kind of stuff. I'm actually kind of a, just as long as you're eating 
good source quality mm-hmm. meat. You're eating good source quality fish, beef, pork. I don't care. Just eat some good food. Eat real vegetables. Eat fruit. You know. Yeah. Make your stuff at home. Cook. You know that kind of thing. Within days, you'll hurt less. If you get rid of the processed carbohydrates, the sugars, the breads, the pastas, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and and the more you limit that sodas, oof, um, all of a sudden you feel better, you're more energetic, your joints move more freely, there's less inflammation, there's less swelling, all that kind of stuff. It's just a general overall, you're healthier, you know? Better wellness. You got it. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's real. But it makes sense. If most of us are hurting and most of us are eating like crap. Mm-hmm. It's a big one. And, and we all have to eat anyway, so it's not like, it, I love that tip because it doesn't take more time. We're take. already having lunch. You got it. <laughs> we can just have a better lunch. You got it. So move. Eat well. Eat well. Right. And then the other one is is that we have a tendency to focus on our pain. When things hurt, especially when they're chronic, that, that takes over our lives. Right? And the other thing that people have a tendency to do is to catastrophize their pain. Is mm. to say, I'm hurting. Now I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, this is ruining my life. That kind of thing. Um, and it's normal. It's, it's a normal psychological thing to go through. Right? But if you recognize you're doing it, then you can take steps to stop. And so focus on the things that are working well. Focus on the things that are good in your life, right? And um, just, you know, know that there's hope, that you can live a life without pain. I mean, if you can, if you can start on that road, mm-hmm. and, it, and you don't have to be 100%, like, all of a sudden go from I'm dying chronic pain to... I'm happy it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work that way. Not fake. No, you can't be fake. It's work. You know, but yeah. if you if you realize that, that that if you start down that path and uh you find the things, hey, you know what? When I was doing this, I didn't notice the pain so much. Mm-hmm. So maybe this doesn't have to be one hundred percent. Let's do that again. You know, or what was good today? When yeah. when was a good moment? You know, that kind of stuff. There's always something. There's always a moment when you're distracted and the things don't hurt, or that, and when you realize that there's that kind of power, then it starts to break that stranglehold that that chronic pain can have on you. So, wouldn't self-talk kind of tie into that? Because yes. I hear people say. Um, they really take uh, ownership of their pain, like, oh, yeah, my bad knee. Or, um, well, you know, that's just my grandmammy had it and my mom had it, and so I have it. And it's um, like they've really claimed it. Yeah, people claim it. Yeah. yeah. It becomes an identity. So changing that up might be even part of the... Yeah, it's not you. I tell people all the time, your pain's not you. It doesn't yeah. define you. That's so good. I love it. These tips have been Fantastic. So if you're watching or listening and um, I didn't ask a question that you wanted asked, then you can email me, message me. I will get some bonus content, do a bonus episode and email it out. And you can be a part of that list by texting REAL to 66866. Thank you. Oh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, They can find me at, on Facebook at Dr. Robert, no. I don't even know. Robert Thompson Jr.? Okay, with no P. No P. T-H-O-M-S-O-N. You got it. Um, And drrobchiropractic.com. And in person, downtown Pensacola. 280 North Palavox. Boom. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap. Awesome. Thank you, Meredith. Way to go.
Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends and leave a review. You can also watch the episodes on YouTube. There's hidden curious caches in each episode and the first two people to find them win a prize. So be sure to get my emails for clues and other insider perks at meredithforreal.com.